Recorded live at IPW in Orlando, Florida, this is Brand USA Talks Travel. At IPW, travel executives from over 70 countries have come to reunite and rebuild the global travel industry. We brought this podcast to IPW so you can catch up with the trending topics. Here's your host, Mark Lapidus. This is just a guess on my part. Were you a Boy Scout as a child? I know I did all of the Cub Scouts. I earned my Arrow of Light, which was the highest order, the highest item in the Cub Scouts. I think I was a Boy Scout briefly, and then I was a band nerd, so I switched over to the band. We're not talking Rolling Stones here, right? (laughs) Uh, No, saxophone (laughs) and the marching band. Donnie Ledbetter is the Tourism Program Manager for the National Park Service, where he works to strengthen the agency's collaborative relationships with the travel and tourism sector to promote sustainable tourism to national parks. Donnie first joined the National Park Service in 2011 and has been working in the tourism and hospitality sector for two decades. You've seen a lot change in two decades, no doubt. Very much, and from several different perspectives as well, different jobs I've had, which has been very rewarding. Tell me. Well, I started in the travel sector in the cruise industry. I worked on expedition cruise vessels, little 100-passenger, 200-passenger ships, and I was out there for about eight years. Wonderful experience. Did some tour guiding work as well, led road trips all across the United States and Canada, and then with the National Park Service now for about 11 years. What have you seen change in the Park Service in 11 years? Well, there's been the good and the bad. I mean, there's no way to gloss over some of the challenges, our staffing has decreased significantly over the last decade. It does make it quite a challenge to keep delivering the high quality experiences we want to in the parks. But on the other hand, over the last decade, we've seen wonderful trends in visitation from all sorts of markets and demographics and segments, international as well. Just a real depth of appreciation for the great outdoors, for our historic and cultural sites as well. So that continued love of and enjoyment and and advocacy for parks is very important. encouraging. Most people probably don't know how the Park Service is funded. How is it funded? (laughs) Well, thank you taxpayers out there. The National Park Service and the system that we manage is a taxpayer-funded government agency, and taxpayers fund about 85% of our agency's budget. And we do have some revenue lines that come in through different fees and donations and things like that. But the majority is actually taxpayer-funded through Congress giving us our annual budget. Well, I've noticed myself being very actively an outdoors person that it's relatively inexpensive to do things in the national parks and in the state parks in the United States. Is that a permanent thing, do you think, or will prices have to be going up in order to meet expenses? We try to keep fees in a very reasonable range because we recognize that the national parks, all of our public lands and waters, belong to the people. You know, they certainly belong to the American people. I believe they belong to to the world, you know, to all global citizens. And so we try to be very conservative in fees to make sure they continue to be accessible. The majority of parks in the system are fee-free. It's only about 120-ish of the whole park system that we do charge an entrance fee. I think we will need to increase them over time to continue that important funding piece for park operations, certainly, but nothing egregiously so, because we do want to continue to ensure people have access. There are 423 units. What does that mean? What's a unit? There are 423 units in the national park system. We use multiple designations. So there are national parks, national monuments, national historic sites, national seashores, national lakeshores, national battlefields. Put all that together and there are 423 units. There are 63 national parks, often the most well-known designation, but there is a much larger width and breadth to the overall system. 
Uh, I was talking with one of your colleagues just a few minutes ago, and I'm sure our listeners will hear this on a podcast. She runs recreation.gov. You know Janelle very well. She was talking about how many places are just too overrun with people. So what strategy are you using to spread the love out to other parks? Great question and a challenging issue. You know, there are some places that have a little bit too much visitation demand at certain times. Our approach to this is to try using a range of tactics to kind of shape those demand patterns, try to even things out. You know, you're going to use the way you market and communicate and talk about these places and raise awareness of alternative destinations. You can promote Lassen Volcanic National Park in Northern California as an alternate to Yellowstone. Pretty similar landscape, actually, and a fraction of the visitation. You can work with the travel trade and the tourism industry to do that sort of thing. You can work with your local visitors to try to impact some of their visitation patterns. There might be some places where we're looking at reservation systems and timed entry systems in order to shape and sculpt that visitation. But the priority is always to actually make your experience a higher quality experience so that you're not in a traffic jam for three hours just trying to get in. I've seen you speak on several occasions, Donnie. I'm that guy in the audience in the back. And one of the things I always hear you talk about is planning ahead. And so how is it best that people do plan ahead? Planning ahead is so important for better ensuring a high quality experience at a national park. You know, I have worked in the travel sector for a long time. There are a lot of destinations and activities you can do where maybe you don't need to plan too much. When thinking about visiting a national park, you want to plan ahead so that you know the terrain. So you have an understanding of what this place is like and what the things are to do and where the wildlife sightings might be taking place and where the different types of environmental features you want to see. So you have a plan of attack for the day. So you're not wasting time when you get there in line at the visitor center. Our visitor centers are wonderful, but if you've planned ahead, maybe you can jump right into that park experience. You know the trail you want to hike. You head right to that trailhead at 8 a.m. Get right on the trail to have that immersive park experience. So planning ahead, absolutely vital for your park experience. If people are listening closely, they're hearing announcements in the background because we're on the floor here at IPW. Donnie, tell me what you've been hearing from people as they walk up to your booth. Any themes this year that you're encountering? This has been a very positive year. You know, I have to admit that we have launched a couple of reservation systems and timed entry systems, and there have been some thoughtful feedback <laughs> that we've received about those systems. You know, this is new as we all work together to try to implement those systems. Generally speaking, feedback's been really positive. You know, over the last two years, there's been a real pivot to outdoor activities, to recreation during the pandemic. I think there's going to be a long tail to that. There's been a real appreciation from the travel industry about the value and importance of our national parks and public lands and waters, people's customers and clients having really great experiences over the last couple of years. So that's the strongest theme has been a real positive appreciation. And that's appreciated by us. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about sustainability this year. You hearing that? I am. And I got to say, as someone who has studied and advocates for sustainable tourism, it's wonderful to hear that language. People thinking a little more deeply about how to integrate sustainability into their strategies and planning and decision making. I think the Park Service is a leader in many of these ways that sustainability is put into action. We look forward to being a part of that continuing conversation, working with destinations and the travel sector to figure out together what sustainability means and how we put it into place. What is the best way for DMOs to work with you? 
You know, the most important relationship for DMOs is how the DMO works with the parks in their destination to be communicating, to be sharing updates and information, to be attending each other's meetings. And that's something I think we've come very, very far over the last decade. I know from our colleagues at Utah Tourism, a decade plus ago, they may not hear from the parks very much at the state conference or in other forums. Now that's much different. Now, some of the visitation patterns probably made it necessary to be communicating more, but that is a positive step. So that local communication is key. And then as far as my offices in DC, our our national program, it's great to have you in my Rolodex because I would actually like to be a point of information for you. If there are big policy updates coming out, if there are big communications, things like that, I would love to be more effectively feeding that to especially the state, but also local DMOs. I definitely encourage and, and welcome that kind of networking with my program. Donnie, I've heard that there are a few parks that have registration systems. Can you explain that a little bit? There are a few places in the park system where visitation has gotten especially high. 80% increases in visitation over a decade. We're just reaching volumes that are frankly unsafe. They're not a high quality experience and they are damaging our natural resources, which of course is the priority for the park service. So there are a couple of parks this year that have been using reservation systems, timed entry systems, Yosemite, Glacier, Arches, Rocky Mountain. Those are kind of the four that are using park-wide systems. There are a couple other parks out there with reservation systems for specific activities like Cadillac Mountain at Acadia, Angels Landing Hike in Zion. So I want to unpack that just a little bit. I think the most important message I have is that it's not all of the parks and the entire system. You have to get a reservation to visit the national parks now. Not true. But also my most important message is that for each of these systems, there are nuances to them. For example, Yosemite, the system is only in place between 6 a.m. and 4 p.m. You enter before, you enter after, no reservation needed. If you are using the local transit system around Yosemite called the yard system, no reservation needed. If you're visiting with a commercial operator, a local business that does guided hikes, they have a permit for that, no reservation needed. Arches National Park, I think it's 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. Again, go into Arches at 4.30, wonderful experience in August. It's getting cooler, the sun's going down, far fewer people. I just hope people understand it's not a reservation system to visit every park anytime. Each of the systems has some nuances and I encourage folks to do that planning. That comes back to how important the planning is and take a look at what we're putting in place. Donnie, obviously you're a deep thinker and I appreciate all the things that you've been doing to ensure great, safe, and better visitation to our national parks. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this live from IPW Podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe to Brand USA Talks Travel. We have so many industry leaders to speak with here at IPW that we'll be pushing out many consecutive episodes with new guests. We hope you'll binge listen when you have time. I'm Mark Lapidus. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, email us at podcast at thebrandusa.com or call 202-793-6256. Our producer is Asher Mirovich, who also writes and performs all music and sound. Engineering by Brian Watkins. Be sure and let your friends in the travel industry know about this podcast.